0: Hey, good morning. Everybody, good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. Welcome, everybody, in the rooms in Pewaukee, here in uh, Waukesha and online. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for church. Great to have you uh, with us uh, today. And hey, before I get started, I want to tell you about a guest speaker uh, that we have come in in four weekends, and I am just super pumped. Uh, about it. Um, about, about nine months ago, I got to hear Dr. Christian, Christopher Yuan uh, share his personal story and teaching on sexuality. And I thought it was one of the most powerful stories and messages I've ever heard. I thought to myself, I would love to have him come and share with us at uh, River Glen. He's written several books, for example, uh, Out of a Far Country, has sold over 100,000 copies, which is a lot uh, for a Christian book. His most recent book is called Holy Sexuality and the um, Gospel in 2020. This book received the uh, Book of the Year Award from Outreach Magazine. And so I am just thrilled to invite um, everybody to come and hear Dr. Christopher Yuan the weekend of of July 29th and 30th at River Glen um, in all of our uh, services. I think this is gonna be uh, one of the most powerful, memorable, talked about weekends ever. And uh, if you'd like to hear more, he's gonna give an extra session on Saturday night at 7 p.m. here in Waukesha. He's gonna give a talk and then he's gonna open it up for questions. People have lots of questions on this uh, subject, so it would be just a great opportunity. Don't miss it. Um, uh, July 29th, 30th uh, at, uh, at, at both uh, campuses, and it would be a great weekend uh, to bring, to invite a friend uh, to come um, with you. Last weekend, we began a new series called Upstream, and it's a series-based on A section of scripture in the New Testament called the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus stood on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he gave this this powerful sermon. We're focusing and unpacking the first eight statements that Jesus made. They're oftentimes called the Beatitudes. And uh, you're gonna see the Beatitudes, they're not really uh, commands. Although Jesus gave commands on many of these subjects in other uh, teachings, they're really more uh, invitations, gentle invitations to a better, fuller, happier life. Each Beatitude has three parts. They all start with the same word. The word blessed, then Jesus gives a description of the beatitude and then a reward at the end of each of them. If you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, this is um, what, who, who Jesus is. This is a, a summary of who Jesus is and how to follow him. Jesus is the living uh, beatitude. And if you want a blessed life, this is the pattern that you want to follow. And if you're not a follower of of Jesus, I think there's a lot for you to learn uh, from this teaching that'll be helpful. Uh, it'll, It'll help you to live a better life. And who knows, maybe you'll make a decision to take a step closer toward following Jesus because he wants to bless everybody but the reason we're calling this series upstream is because in the beatitudes jesus basically says you got to turn your life around and you need to go against the flow you need to go against the current in this world if you want to find true joy and happiness, he gives some of the most countercultural, counterintuitive uh, teachings that have ever been given. It's safe to say that the people who uh, sat on the hillside hearing Jesus give this sermon, if they would have had smartphones, they would have started texting each other the mind blown emoji because Jesus contradicted all of their assumptions about how to live a joyful life. And the same is true for us. Jesus didn't teach these things so that you and I would respond, oh yeah, I knew that already. I've heard that before. No, Jesus gave these teachings so that we would hear them and think, really, are you serious? Do you really mean this, Jesus? Because we've got to go against the current. We've got to go upstream in this world to have real happiness and uh, joy. I do wanna give some credit to, the, uh, to an author and uh, pastor by the name of Daniel uh, Fusco. He wrote a book called Crazy Happy on the uh, Beatitudes. I found it helpful and, and some of the ideas I'm gonna share uh, with you today. Actually, uh, I found them in uh, Daniel's uh, book, and so I want to give him uh, credit uh, for that. And if you'd like to go further on this subject, I would recommend uh, his book. And, and by the way, check out the hair on uh, Daniel. I mean, I wish I had hair uh, like that. Uh, those are some of the best dreadlocks in all of Christendom. Yeah, right, right uh, there. But wouldn't you agree? I mean, everybody wants to be happy, right? Everybody wants more happiness. That's why at McDonald's, you know, they don't sell sad meals, right? I mean, can you imagine walking in there and at McDonald's and saying, yeah, I'd like a sad meal, you know, a little burger, a little bunch of fries, and a box of tissues. No, no, everybody wants a happy meal. Uh, And and, and God uh, gives us the Beatitudes to help us find true happiness, not just when we die and go to heaven, but right here, and right now, but especially as Wimpack, uh, the third and the fourth Beatitudes. Here's what we're gonna discover, that we find happiness and joy in some of the most unlikely, unique, and upstream places. I mean, think about it. If happiness could be achieved the way that we think, more people would be happy, wouldn't they? I mean, almost everybody would be happy. Instead, many people admit that they struggle with it, and they feel sad, lonely, depressed, stretched, stressed out, anxious, even, even when they appear to have lots of blessings in their lives. Contrary to popular opinion, happiness is not achieved through more success, more pleasure, fewer problems. Last month, the Surgeon General came out with a report saying that Americans are increasingly feeling more isolated, insignificant, and invisible and unhappy. He called it a new epidemic. In America. So let's take a look at the third uh, beatitude and and we'll begin to see how we can find real joy and lasting um, happiness in in unique and upstream uh, places. Here's what Jesus says He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Or to put it in today's language, crazy happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That is crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Talk about Upstream, I mean, I've never heard a self-help uh, speaker say that if you want happiness, develop more meekness. Or a parent say, I hope our child grows up and is very meek. Or I hope our daughter grows up and marries a guy who's really uh, meek. But Jesus says, crazy happy are the meek. Now, if we're honest, many of us probably don't want, to, <laughs> don't want meekness. We think meek is weak. We hear the word meek and we think of, we think of somebody like this. Uh, Ned Flanders from the uh, Simpsons here. We think of spineless jellyfish kind of people that can't really stick up for themselves. Here's a dictionary definition of of meek. Meek is overly submissive or overly compliant and uh, tame. It sounds cowardly and weak and uh, nobody wants to sign up uh, for that. And our culture tells us the opposite, that power is where it's at. Power is exciting and, and fun. Power is how you gain impact and influence in this world. Culture tells us that submission means you're like society's punching bag, and nobody wants so nobody wants meekness. But I want to propose to you that the word "meek," the word "meekness," might be the most misunderstood word in the English language. So instead of talking about being meek, I found a way cooler word that I want to talk about um, with you. I want to teach you guys a little bit of ancient Greek. Greek. anybody want to learn a little bit of Greek? A little Greek lesson? Yeah. One, 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 one per two. All right. <laughs> two of us. Awesome. Well, here it is, right here. Here's a Greek word, and it's pronounced praus. Prouse. so there you go, you learned some Greek. Why don't you go ahead and say that out loud with me on the count of three, ready, one, two, three. Prowse, yeah, very good. Now in the ancient world, they would use this word Prowse to describe the selection and training of war horses. Yeah, they'd go out and they'd find wild uh, horses and they'd put them through a really intense training process, not a day or two or a week or two, but like several months. And then they would sort out the horses at the end of the training, depending on how well uh, they, they did with it. Some of, them, some of the horses didn't do very well. They just let them go. Some would become farm animals, farm workers. Some they would use in transportation, kind of like Uber in the uh, ancient world to move goods and people around. And then a small fraction of the horses would become candidates to become war uh, horses. But they had to go through another phase of training and conditioning so that the horses would learn how to react to even the slightest touch Of the uh, rider. These trained horses would stand tall in the face of cannon fire and arrows flying around. These trained horses would race race into, into battle and then stop on a dime. They learned muscle control and discipline to restrain their wild out of control rebellious nature because they learned that they had an even greater purpose than on their own. And after a horse had gone through all of that, selection, training, and conditioning. Only then, after all of that, would they use our word to call a horse "prouse." And uh, do you want to guess what "prouse" translates to in uh, English? Meek. Meek. That's the word Jesus used in this beatitude. and And you can probably see how we get this wrong because you look it up in the dictionary and it tells us that meek is weak. But that's not what those people heard on the hillside that day when they listened to Jesus. They heard something totally different. Here's what they heard. Meek is strength under control. Meek is somebody who's strong but has enough discipline to hold themselves back. Meek is power under control. And then there's another aspect of meekness that also doesn't translate very well into, into English. And, and this is the concept of gentleness. Not not only outward gentleness, like you know, pet the pet the kitten, baby kitten, gently, uh, so you don't hurt it. It's deeper. It's a it's a it's a more out, uh, internal type of uh, gentleness. Instead of releasing my inner Hulk on you. I restrain myself. I hold myself back for the benefit of another person. It's this internal gentleness. I love to watch uh, sports on on TV, but I'm not very meek when I watch sports, especially Green Bay Packers football games. I'll get upset. I'll get mad. I'll yell at the TV when I disagree with a call that the official uh, made. Sometimes I'll get up and walk out of the uh, room. I need to learn. Uh, meekness, uh, especially when I watch sports on TV, which makes this next example especially meaningful to me. I want to show you a picture here of a college, famous college basketball coach. Anybody recognize, anybody know who who that is? John yeah, that is John uh, Wooden. And uh, he, was, he was also, he was not only a basketball coach, he was a devoted follower of uh, Jesus. And he's often called the, not only the greatest uh, basketball, college basketball coach, many people call him the GOAT, the greatest coach in sports. Um, he, co- he coached the UCLA, U- U- UCLA men's basketball team to six consecutive NCAA titles. They won 10 titles in 12 years. At one point they won 88 straight. Basketball games. They had an undefeated season, where they set a record with a vic- average average margin of victory, just over 32 points. Nobody nobody could uh, beat them. But here's here's something amazing about John Wooden. He's a powerful coach. He's a strong leader. Nobody would call him weak. But John Wooden, uh, he didn't yell at his players. He didn't scream at the uh, refer- uh, referees. He didn't run up and down the court or use uh, profanity. In 40 years of coaching, he received two technical fouls. Yeah, there are many coaches that get two technical fouls in one game. Two technical fouls in 40 years of coaching. He stayed calm during the games. He said this, there's nothing stronger than gentleness. And that's what Jesus taught. That's upstream. Meekness is gentle and powerful. And impactful meekness is quiet strength, and it brings you true joy and happiness meekness will will improve your, your mood. You, you calm down and relax, and you feel better it 'll improve your r- relationships you don 't scratch and claw over other people to build your own personal kingdom. You control your anger with your spouse, your friends, your children. you control your frustration with politics. Meek don't plot plot revenge against those who wrong them. They direct their energy toward God, trusting God, relying on God's timing, seeking his glory and not their own. And that's how Jesus lived. Jesus was never a doormat. He had incredible strength. He healed people. He raised dead people back to life. Jesus had great power, but he controlled it when he washed the feet of a disciple that he knew would betray him when he walked into the garden of gethsemane the night before the crucifixion and he prayed his guts out god would you father would you please take this take this suffering away from from me i want out but then he submitted to a no from his father or when people or when he allowed people to spit on him make fun of him lie about him torture him eventually kill him for you and me the crucifixion is the greatest example of meekness meekness is submitting your strength under god's control but it isn't easy It wasn't easy for jesus and it's not easy for us And that's why Jesus didn't end this uh, beatitude with the word meek, he goes on. There's a second half to this uh, beatitude where he gives a reward that includes a promise. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's a pretty good sounding reward, isn't it? And notice how Jesus uses this word, inherit. That's an incredible word. When you inherit something, You know, you don't, uh, you don't buy it, you don't earn it. It's a gift, freely given to you. And for a first century Jew, any land, let alone the whole earth, would change their life. It would give them land to grow crops, and raise animals, and build a house for their family. It would mean financial stability, not just for your family but for future generations after you. And Jesus uses this word inherit to remind us that we don't have to worry about the future because God provides for the meek. We inherit blessings on this earth and we look forward to the ultimate blessing in heaven. Um, That's why the meek find crazy happiness now and forever. So I wanna ask you one question before we move to the next uh, beatitude. And here it is right here. Do I trust God enough to develop meekness? Because you can't do this on your own. Um, you've got you've to trust that God is who he says he is and that he will keep his promises. Your ability to develop meekness is directly proportional to, to, to your trust in God, to your reliance on God's strength to transform your life. Here's a second unlikely, uh, unique, upstream uh, place where we find true joy and happiness. In the fourth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, or to put it in today's language, crazy happy, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You know, I would guess that uh, uh, many of you that have attended uh, River Glen for any length of time, there's probably been a time where you've gone out to eat after church service. You go out to a restaurant, right? You ever had this happen where you get in the car and you turn to the person that you're with and you ask them, what are you hungry for? And they say, I don't know. What are you hungry for? and you have this little back and forth game where you're uh, trying to figure out what you're hungry for, what you're um, craving. You crave something, you're just not sure what it is. And that's how many people live their life. They hunger for something, they crave something, they just don't know what it is and nothing seems to satisfy them. It's like the hit song by the Rolling Stones, help me out, Mick Jagger sings, I can't get no, Satisfaction, And that song came out 58 years ago, and it's still the complaint of the average um, American. And people complained about it back in the days of Jesus. That's why he stood on the hillside that day. And he said to the crowd, what are you hungry for? What do you crave? Are you hungry for acceptance? You'll find it here. Are you hungry for peace? You'll find it here. Anybody hungry for, for wisdom, guidance? Anybody craving joy? Satis- satisfaction. Jesus says, here's what you're really hungry for. Here's what you're really craving, the things of, of, of God. And it's here. You'll find it uh, here. Talk about upstream. Jesus, Jesus says, if you want happiness, you've, you've got to be ravenous for the things of God. If you want happiness, you need to be starving, hungry, hungry, for the things of God. Look at the word that uh, Jesus uses. He says, He says, those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. It's not really a, a, a word that we use probably in everyday uh, language outside of uh, church, unless you watch uh, the Food Channel and uh, Diners, Drive Ins and Dive, uh, Guy Fietti, anybody watch that? He likes to use this word. He'll say, That chicken is righteous. And he means, It's good. It's right. But the word Jesus uses here is so much bigger and richer and more compelling than that. that. The word righteous would would, would have a two-part meaning. It would have an, an inward meaning, right with God. You hunger to have a great relationship with God. You hunger to have a close personal relationship with God. And that leads to an outward expression which is making things right in the world. And so followers of Jesus, they pursue both kinds of righteousness. You wanna be right with God personally, and then you help God make things right in the world. Here's what people will do. Sometimes people will pursue one or the other. They'll pursue a right relationship, a right personal relationship with God, and then they don't really care about the world. You know, they just kinda of isolate from the world. And then other people go to the other extreme and they try to make things right in the world without God, without Jesus, but Jesus says you pursue both. You hunger for a right relationship with God and you hunger to help God make things right in the world. But I wonder how many of us, you know, if we are honest, uh, would admit, I don't really have a strong hunger and thirst for God right now. You know, maybe I did before, but it it doesn't feel real strong uh, right now. Or I've never had a hunger and thirst for God. And if that's you, you know what? It's okay to admit that. Sometimes I don't hunger and thirst for God. But here's a question that I think can help us. Ask yourself, why? Why am I not personally hungry and thirsty for God? I can think of several reasons, but let me put it to you this way. I want you to imagine something. Imagine that you and your spouse or your significant other celebrate your anniversary and you want to make a, a special occasion out of it. And so you decide to go to a really fancy restaurant, one of those five-star restaurants where you've got to make a reservation months in advance. And you go out and you get some really great clothes that you're going to wear. Maybe you call and, and schedule Uber Uber Black because they'll bring a, a luxury A vehicle and a professional driver, and and they take you to the restaurant. When you arrive, this is one of those restaurants that's so fancy. They don't have a host; they've got a maitre d'. And the maitre d' seats you at the finest table in the restaurant. The waiter brings menus, and your uh, guest orders their food. And then the waiter turns to you and says, "And what would you like?" And you say, "Nothing. I don't want anything. I'm not hungry." now why, why would why do you think you're not hungry well i don't know maybe maybe you've got an illness maybe you've got a health issue and you don't have a stomach for the food or maybe the reason you're not hungry is because you've been eating all day and you just don't have room for it you know maybe you planned uh for this meal and you brought a salad with you to to work or to school but when you got there it was somebody's birthday And they said, hey, I'd like to go out to eat. And so everybody went out to lunch, and you said, well, okay, I'll go too. And you go to this restaurant, but instead of ordering a salad, you got a grease bomb burger, or you crushed a plate of nachos. And then a few hours later you started getting hungry again and maybe you work at a place like, like here and there's food everywhere, there's snacks and candy everywhere and you just started feeding yourself uh, snacks and, and by the time you get to the dinner you didn't have any room for dinner and you miss out on this amazing meal at this amazing restaurant. And see our hunger and thirst for God It works the same way. God has planned this amazing meal. Jesus calls it the abundant life, the blessed life, the best life possible that brings you lasting joy and happiness. But for many people, we fill ourselves up. We snack on other things, and we don't really have a hunger for God. That's why we don't have a close relationship with God. Maybe we snack on the internet or streaming television, or watching videos or Wordle or social media or politics and all the crazy rabbit trails that politics can take us on. And these things might fill us up for a moment. Not saying these things are bad on their own. Maybe these things will give us a little break or release from time to time. But these things cannot fully satisfy us. But Jesus tells us what does. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and look at this, for they will be filled. The word filled means fully satisfied. It means fulfilled. It means true happiness and joy. And so what do you hunger and thirst for in your life right now? Do you you hunger and thirst for being right with God? Do you hunger and thirst for helping God make things right in, in the world? I wanna challenge you to make two changes if you wanna increase your hunger and thirst for God. Here's the, here's the first uh, challenge, spend less time doing things that distract you from God. Maybe the reason we don't feel the presence of God, the joy of God, closeness with God is because we're filling ourselves up and we just don't have room for, for God. So I want you to take inventory of your life. Are are you spending so much time um, watching videos on the internet, streaming TV that you don't have time for prayer? Are you spending so much time watching CNN, watching Fox News that you don't have time for reading and reflecting on, on scripture? I want you to find things in your life that you could spend less time doing and do them less so that you've got more time, more room for God. And then here's the second challenge, spend more time doing things that bring you closer to God because our spiritual habits, our spiritual practices make a big difference in our life. I heard somebody say it this way, the things we do, do something to to us. When you practice a spiritual habit, it makes your spirit a little bit stronger. It makes your, your heart, your heart gets a little more filled a little more satisfied? Are, are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time reading and reflecting on scripture? Here's a tool that maybe would help you out. You can take out your smartphone and download the Version app and choose River Glen as your church which will give you access to a Bible reading plan that we put there for you. And if you need some help figuring that out, just stop at the Next Steps Hub in the lobby after the service. The the current Bible reading plan focuses on the Beatitudes. What a great time for us to read and reflect on the uh, Beatitudes. Or how about attending a group this summer? We've got sermon-based groups that are open and meeting. This summer, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. here at Waukesha, Thursdays at 6 p.m. in Pewaukee. It's a, it's a great opportunity to connect with, with others and discuss the uh, message and, and just dig deeper into prayer and scripture. Or uh, do you want something to help you bring, bring you closer to God? How about getting baptized? We got a baptism weekend coming up in, in two weeks. Maybe you believe in Jesus but you've never made your own decision to uh, go all in and give your life to Jesus through uh, baptism. Maybe your parents made, made a decision for you to get baptized as a baby. And I'm not putting that down, you know, they chose that for you because they loved you. But every example in scripture of somebody getting baptized made their own choice. Why not make your, your, your own choice to declare your faith and your hunger and your thirst for God? And I know it takes courage to you know, get baptized. I know it's an upstream decision. But I also know that it will bring you incredible joy and delight and um, happiness, and Jesus says, I want you to express your faith in baptism. He actually commands uh, his followers to take this uh, step. So we're doing baptisms at, at uh, both campuses in two weeks as part of the Baptism Bash weekend, July 15th and 16th, and we would love to include you. You can, you can sign up right now. You can, you can sign up at the Next Steps Hub in the lobby. Something I love about baptisms, people clap. And cheer, and it 'll be a great encouragement in your life. everybody's in- invited uh, to join us uh, that weekend and Jesus also tells us to express our faith and hunger by practicing a meal together called a Communion. Um, our communion is open to everyone who follows uh, Jesus. The bread represents christ 's body the juice symbolizes christ 's blood and Think about it, communion expresses meekness and our hunger and our thirst for for God, for being right with God and helping God make things right in the world. Uh, I'm gonna say a prayer and then our band is gonna actually, they're gonna present a song. It's a beautiful song that puts the Beatitudes to to music. And uh, during that song, if you need feel free to get up and 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 pick up the communion items are on the, on the tables in the back of the room and when you're ready during this song you can go ahead and eat and drink let me pray for us father i thank you for the work that you're that you're doing in our hearts and and uh, in our lives as we study and learn the words of, of jesus and the beatitudes about uh, living an upstream kind of life God, would you give us courage to to go against the flow and be different because we wanna follow Jesus and we wanna experience the the blessed life, the full life that you have for us. Father, I pray for you to give courage for those who who need to make the upstream decision of of getting baptized. Father, we wanna be meek and hungry and thirsty people who depend on you. Help us to remember that we really hunger and thirst for you and and we rely on on your power and love. And we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, to make it all possible. And we lift our prayers in his name, amen.